The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street. Here's your top five at five. Is the great stock rebound of 2022 already over? Markets tanking yesterday on interest rate and Europe fears. Futures showing a bit of a rebound right now. As crude oil prices come down recently, could OPEC actually cut production? We spoke with the Saudi energy minister. Key takeaways ahead. Apple looking to diversify its supply chain away from China ahead of the next iPhone launch in September. Former President Trump challenging the legality of the Mar-a-Lago FBI search and reportedly uncovered more than 300 classified documents. And later on, talk about a fall from grace. As one pandemic stock winner gets cut down to size yet again this morning. It is all happening on this Tuesday, August 23rd. You're watching Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let us jump right in now and get right to your Tuesday money with U.S. stock futures showing a bit of a bounce back. Right now, all the major averages are up about two to three tenths of one percent. Not a lot. Dow up 60 points, but we are in the green now. Wall Street coming off some of the biggest declines of the year, driven largely by kind of what we warned you about at the end of last week. Huge options, expirations, and new positioning by hedge funds. They are worried about what is happening in Europe and with the Fed as well. We talked about this increased volatility, particularly on the downside on Thursday and Friday, and that's precisely what we got. Now, ahead of today's trade, the Dow and the S&P 500 are coming off 2% losses, respectively, for their worst single declines since June 16th. Even worse for tech. The Nasdaq coming off a more than 2.5% loss, its worst day since June 28th, with only five stocks in the Nasdaq 100 ending Monday higher. Wow. With those moves now, the Dow is off 10% from its all-time high, the S&P down 14. But the Nasdaq, even with summer's nice run, still off more than 23% from its all-time high. It giveth, and they taketh away. Sticking with the NASDAQ and big tech, a brutal day for the likes of Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, and more. These are the stocks with the heaviest options activity as well, losing billions of dollars in market value. Just take a look at some of those declines. In all, $237 billion in market value wiped out on Monday. With that sell-offs, bonds got bought and yields rose. A 10-year bond yield back above 3%. That should have mortgage rates ticking back a bit higher. 10-year yield right now is at 3.01%. Now, in the oil market, we are also seeing a move. Crude oil is back on the rise, over 91 a barrel here. And natural gas is nearing $10 per contract. Wow. That is some of the highest numbers for nat gas we have seen in years. Now, we spoke with the Saudi energy minister, Abdulaziz bin Salman, on Monday afternoon. And it seemed clear to me in our conversation that they believe the oil market may be being manipulated. 
and indicated OPEC may be ready to defend prices very soon. That could include a possible cut. We'll get more in our conversation in a couple of moments. In crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether both on the rise right now. They are up about 2 and 3% respectively. All right, around the world, why don't we get a check on some of the early action that is happening in Europe as the euro continues to trade at its lowest level against the dollar in 20 years. Juliana Tottlebaum is in London with more. Juliana. Brian, good morning. Well, things are actually pretty stable in Europe this morning from an equity market perspective. After yesterday, we saw the stock 600 lose about 1% and the German market pull back more than 2%. Lots of concern around the energy picture, as you know well, Brian, uh, yesterday that weighed on risk sentiment in Europe. This morning, we've got the DAX bouncing back about two-tenths of a percent, so uh, leading the gains alongside Italy, which is up about six-tenths of a percent. A little bit of green on the board for the French market as well. Meanwhile, yesterday, we saw outperformance in the U.K. and Swiss market, so today, a bit of a reversal of that trend. We got some fresh PMI data this morning, which investors consider to be fairly forward-looking. And what we learned was that the Eurozone contracted yet again in the month of August and the UK manufacturing sector hit its lowest level in terms of those PMIs since May 2020. 46 was the level. So manufacturing under a huge amount of pressure in the UK as supply chain issues and inflationary pressures continue to have an impact. In terms of the Euro, Brian, you mentioned it falling below parity. It sits well below that level now this morning. We have bounced off the lows of the morning, but still, as you can see, well below that parity level. Sterling, meanwhile, hovering around the flat line, which is interesting given that very disappointing UK PMI data that came through. We are significantly lower than we were just a couple of months ago, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, around 117.66. So some stabilization after the recent sell-off. Brian, we'll hand it back over to you. All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Now let's get stateside some of this morning's top corporate headlines, including what could be a big change for Apple's manufacturing. Frank Holland is here with that. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Brian. Good morning to you. Apple reportedly plans to start assembling the next iteration of the iPhone, the iPhone 14, in India roughly two months after its initial release out of China. According to Bloomberg, the company's been working with suppliers to ramp up manufacturing in India and shorten the lag in production of the newest iPhone from the typical six to nine months. The move is part of a broader one by Apple to diversify production away from China amid ongoing production disruptions and increasing regulatory scrutiny out of Beijing. McDonald's is shaking up its board of directors with longtime member Sheila Penrose, who leads the board's Sustainability and Corporate Responsibility Committee, stepping down on September 30th. Penrose, who has served on the board since 2006, found herself the target of billionaire investor Carl Icahn when he launched his proxy fight against the company some two months ago. In her place, McDonald's is adding executives from Marriott, J&J, and Salesforce to its board. And a new report from Zillow shows U.S. home prices are falling. The dip in July, well, it's about 0.1%, but still the first month-over-month decline since all the way back in 2012. According to Zillow, that amounts to about $366, with the typical U.S. home price now sitting at just over $357,000. That's the latest. Brian, back over to you. All right, Frank, good morning. We'll see you in a few minutes. Appreciate that. All right, now to a developing story and the latest on the FBI search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, where they reportedly uncovered more than 300 classified documents from the former president. NBC's Bree Jackson joining us now from Washington with more on this developing story. Bree, good morning. 
Good morning, Brian. Well, Trump's legal team has filed its first filing since the FBI searched his Florida home two weeks ago. In it, they call the search shockingly aggressive and say that they want any materials not covered by the search warrant returned. Former President Trump's legal team is requesting what's known as a special master to review the documents seized from Mar-a-Lago. We need an impartial, that means not Republican, not Democrat, impartial special master to go in there, take a look at what they seized. The Justice Department says the August 8th search warrant was authorized by a federal court upon the required finding of probable cause. Because the Justice Department, unlike Donald Trump, only speaks through court filings. The Trump team's filing also lays out new details about the investigation. On August 8th, when Mr. Trump's lawyer was notified about the FBI search, a heated discussion ensued. The filing reveals a phone call from an unnamed Trump lawyer to the Justice Department on August 11th, delivering this message. President Trump wants the attorney general to know that he has been hearing from people all over the country. The heat is building up. The pressure is building up. There could be negative repercussions in terms of perhaps feeding a narrative that something is being hidden from the public. As public interest in the investigation intensifies, a federal judge indicates he may not unseal much, if any, of the affidavit used to justify the unprecedented search. The judge is putting a very fine point, a very clear exclamation point on an argument that the government raised, which was, look, people can really be harassed and intimidated here. The DOJ has until Thursday to submit redactions to the document. And according to the New York Times, there could be some 300 documents that were seized from Mar-a-Lago. Now, this includes uh, about 100. This includes some documents that were retrieved by the National Archives uh, in January. About 150 of those were classified, uh, were marked as classified. Brian. Well, Bree, they're having some media reports kind of trying to shed a little more light on exactly what those documents may be. We don't know, but. What are some reports telling us? Well, yeah, in addition to those that were marked as uh, as classified uh, from that search in, or at least from the documents handed over to the National Archives, uh, there was also a second batch that was handed over to DOJ in June. And then there's that third batch that was seized by the FBI earlier this month. In it, at least, it included at least one document that was marked as top secret, Brian. All right, Bree Jackson on that developing story out of Mar-a-Lago and D.C. Bree, thank you very much. All right, we've got a lot more to do on this Tuesday morning when we come back. Details from our one-on-one conversation with Saudi Energy Minister Abdulaziz bin Salman. His take on global oil demand, OPEC production, and why he thinks the market may be manipulated. Germany firing up a mothballed coal plant as it looks to fill the gap in its current energy supply crisis. Later, much more on markets, yesterday's meltdown, and what is in store for the fall. Payment Capital's Kyle Bass, a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Now let's get the very latest in Europe's growing energy crisis. Natural gas spot trading in Europe at another record high. UK natural gas at the highest level in more than four months. All this as Germany and other nations are racing to secure enough energy supplies for the winter, with Russia's Gazprom now saying it will shut down the Nord Stream pipeline for three more days of, quote, maintenance beginning on Monday. By the way, that natural gas price at 276 euros per megawatt hour equates to 80 U.S. dollars per natural gas contract. Now, amid this scramble, German energy giant Uniper, one of their biggest power producers, is restarting a coal-fired power plant to produce electricity for the market. Germany had promised to eliminate coal as a power source by the end of the decade, but the economic minister calls the increased reliance on coal, quote, bitter but necessary. Joining us now is Baraj Bukataria. He is Associate Director of European Research at RBC Capital Markets, putting out a note the other day about this new Gazprom shutdown. Baraj, welcome back. Normally, you talk about stocks, you talk about companies, but you wrote about this new shutdown and about a potential demand hit. And in your note, you talked about a potential 20% demand destruction that would be necessary to have the supplies needed for winter. Talk to us about what that would mean. That is one out of every five power days effectively going offline in Germany. Yeah, I think Europe has exhausted uh, all the supply side measures uh, it has. So, you know, you're taking as much LNG as you can get. You're having seen some fuel switching and so on. But really now it comes down to demand reduction. So that 20% figure we, we highlighted is realistic. I think actually the, the worst case could even be higher than that. You're going to see industry likely to take the brunt of that. But also consumers and businesses will, be, will naturally see demand come down uh, because the pricing is going to be so high and that will force, the, force demand destruction. Okay, I, I want to focus on a little bit of good news and then the not so good news. The good news, Barrage, is that Storage levels, gas storage levels in Germany are at about 80% of where they normally are. That's pretty good. There's been some highlighting, okay, listen, storage is fine. But as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the storage levels also assume that gas flows from Russian pipelines continue. If we have no flows or 20% on Nord Stream and the other two pipelines closed and enter the winter at 80%, It would seem to me that that is still very bad news. Am I miscalculating something? No, I think, uh, you know, this situation has been playing out for a number of months. So you've seen the scramble for gas uh, across European countries heading into this. So 80% is actually a reasonably okay figure at this point. And you you can see by the chart, you're in the middle of the range uh, over the last few years. However, if if you have a shut up of gas, that 80% will, will wind down very, very quickly. 
we've argued that actually there's probably a bit too much focus on this winter uh, because of what you've seen, uh, the scramble for gas. Um, this winter is probably going to be okay. You, you're like, unlikely to get to zero. However, once you roll through post-winter, you end up in exactly the same situation next year. And you had a scramble for gas in the summer and winter 23, 24 will also look pretty painful. And this is a really important point you're making. Unless something changes with the war, with sanctions, with Gazprom, this is not a six-month issue, is it? I mean, this could go on for years and get worse. Yeah, this is, a, this is likely to be, a, you know, it, it took multiple years to get into this situation. So it's likely to take multiple years to get out of the situation. I also think you have, to, you have to consider the structural aspects of what happens to demand. So if you are an industrial company in Europe and you already had to pay really high carbon prices heading into this, and now you have to worry about access to energy. You know, maybe you start to think about relocating your facilities elsewhere. Um, and that has impacts on, on obviously, European GDP and so on over the medium term. Yeah, by the way, I have no idea what's going on in the office building behind you, Barrage, but everybody is walking down the staircase. I don't want to alarm you. We just showed a shot of the glass building behind you. Uh, you and I met last fall when I came to your office. I was there covering the U.K.'s power problems. This is obviously before uh, Putin's insane war. Can you just give us a viewpoint, at, not as an analyst, but as a resident of the UK, about what's happening with power bills there and how you see that shaking out? Because we talked about it in November. They'll blame it all on Putin. But the reality is there were many structural energy issues heading into this, which maybe emboldened Putin. What's it like to be you and living and what's happening with power in the UK right now? There's obviously a lag between what what the what's happening in the wholesale market and what happens to the price gaps in the UK. It's reviewed uh, was reviewed in in March, now reviewed in October, and they are going up substantially. So your average consumer is going to be feeling the pain uh, very significantly from October when the prices go up, and then likely again in January when they go up further. So there's likely to be very significant social unrest, um, and the governments are are obviously likely to have to step in and, and subsidise some of the consumers. Um, particularly on the, on the low incomes and so on, that are going to be really hurting from, from this crisis. Yeah, they're talking about potentially millions of people that are unable to pay their heating bill this winter, both in the UK and maybe tens of millions more in Europe. Barrage, normally we talk to you about stocks, but I'm glad we got more of a macro view with you because you got your finger on the pulse. It's a huge issue there and here as well. Barrage, we appreciate your viewpoint. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Speaking of the oil and energy market, I had a very interesting telephone conversation with the Saudi energy minister Monday afternoon. It was a fairly long and fairly rare on the record conversation with Abdulaziz bin Salman. Now, in those 20 or so minutes, we touched on a number of issues. But the main takeaway I had from it all was the very real chance that OPEC and OPEC plus could try to tighten the oil market very soon, either at the September 5th OPEC meeting or perhaps and a surprise move and a cut ahead of that. Bin Salman was concerned about the impact of a number of issues, like China's continued slowdown, Europe's problems, and the possibility of Iranian barrels returning to the market. Now, at the same time, Bin Salman believes that the paper market, those are the futures contracts we are showing you right now on your screen, and the physical market, meaning actual delivery of a barrel of oil, is growing dangerously wide. 
At one point in the call, he said to me, quote, just call an airline and see how hard it is to hedge right now, end quote. And he implied this lack of liquidity in oil futures could lead to, again, in his words, possible manipulation. Although he stopped short of confirming to me that the market was indeed being manipulated, and if so, by whom? Of course, if it was, it would have to be a huge player, selling forward oil contracts short to move prices down. I also asked Ben Salman about the likely impact of EU sanctions on the oil market. Remember those kick in December 5th. He said he did not want to see the oil market become like the European natural gas market right now, which I took to mean he was concerned about a market that goes soaring to the upside. There is a lot there, but clearly the Saudis would like to send the oil markets and maybe the U.S. government a message that production cuts could be coming because of problems they see in the oil market. All right, by the way, the oil is higher this morning. Still on deck, this morning's big money movers and a wild bet by AMC CEO Adam Aaron paying off in a very big way. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for some big money movers on this Tuesday morning. Shares of Zoom Video, they are under big pressure ahead of the open after reporting mixed results for their most recent quarter. That stock is down 10%. Zoom also lowering its full-year forecast for earnings and revenue as pandemic buying patterns dwindle and focus shifts to more enterprise clients. Second quarter sales growth came in at 8% year-on-year, down from 12% in the prior quarter. Everybody, after Labor Day, going back to the office. By the way, the Zoom CFO will be on Squawk Box today in a first-on interview at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Shares of Palo Alto Networks popping in the pre-market. The company's full-year guidance topping analyst estimates. It's also announcing a three-for-one stock split that will take effect on September 14th. That stock is higher right now. And shares of AMC and its new preferred stock, ticker APE, A-P-E, higher after a wild session yesterday. That saw both stocks halted at numerous times in volatile trading. Despite huge volume and massive interest from retail investors, many on the street remain skeptical of AMC's intentions with its new preferred stock, which some say should be viewed more like a two-for-one split than anything of any new real value. Still, Ape and AMC are both higher this morning. All right, let's get a check down some of this morning's other key headlines outside of the world of money and business including severe weather sweeping across the south. Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. We begin with the major rainfall across the country and deadly flooding in Dallas. Officials confirmed a 60-year-old woman died when her car was washed away in the flood. Dallas Fire and Rescue reported nearly 100 water rescues from Sunday night to Monday afternoon. Parts of the city saw over 15 inches during the storm. And in eastern Arizona, evacuations are underway in the town of Duncan. The mayor there said the floodwaters could bring extreme peril to life and property. 
Millions of people are waiting to see if the pause on federal student loan payments will be extended beyond the end of the month. But in the meantime, CNN is reporting that the Biden administration is leaning toward canceling $10,000 in student debt for people making less than $125,000 a year. That's according to sources familiar with the discussions. NBC has not confirmed that report, but President Biden was supportive of a similar plan while on the campaign trail. Now to a little business in the front and party in the back. The National Mullet Championship has crowned its winners. That was right there is the big one. Eight-year-old Emmett Bailey of Menominee, Wisconsin. He beat out over 688 contestants, taking home 2500 in cash. He plans to donate the money to a Catch a Dream Foundation. And then there's a teens division. Here are the winners there. Caden Kershaw of Wausau, Wisconsin, took the top spot. He has been growing his locks for about three years. So both those big winners from Wisconsin, uh, one in Florida. So the big question is, Brian, ever, ever in the history of your life have you had one of those bullets? Oh, I'm not saying I would have won the competition, Francis. I'll post the picture. Do it. Yeah, I had a mullet, by the way. And, and. I actually shaved one side, which was more of a skater thing. I spend a lot of time in Wisconsin. I may or may not be near Wisconsin right now. And I can assure you, the mullet is alive and it is well. And when done right, it is a beautiful thing, Francis. It sure is. Well, hey, I I know you're into your hair bands. So it just goes to, you know, I'm sure, goes to show that you just love them. Who who doesn't love a little... Ronnie James Dio, Dockin'. Don't act like Crocus. You don't. You know these bands too. Oh, one hundred percent. Come on, one hundred percent. Kicks, Kicks, Mastodon, Triumph. I can go on all day. France Rivera, thank you very much. Pat Benatar with a De- with oh, a girl, girl band yes. too. Oh. All of the above. Oh, <laughs> L- L- Lena Ford. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Lena Ford. It's gonna be fantastic. All right. Hit me once. Now I know what channel I'm listening to on Sirius on the way home. Yeah, hair metal. Ozzy's Boneyard. All right. Ahead, a one-on-one with Heyman Capital CEO Kyle Bass. His take on the European energy crisis and what is driving the recent market turmoil ahead. Our conversation with Kyle coming up in just a couple of minutes. The recent rally for stocks faltering over growing fears over a global recession. Our conversation with Kyle Bass on the key catalysts that he sees driving the markets in the months ahead. A key part of that recession chatter, Europe's energy crisis only growing worse. Staggering stats on how much more people in the region are paying to keep the lights on just in the last week. And Elon Musk dragging his old pal Jack Dorsey into his legal fight for his failed takeover of Twitter. It is all happening on this Tuesday, August 23rd. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. About 5.30 on the East Coast. Let's get right now to your Tuesday money with U.S. stock features mildly on the rise. All this coming off some of the biggest declines of the year on Monday. But down the S&P seeing their worst day since mid-June. NASDAQ coming off its worst day since late June. The more than 2% drop, Dow features up 50 points right now. In all, only five NASDAQ 100 stocks rose on Monday. Pinduoduo, Baidu, NetEase, JD.com, and AstraZeneca for the five China-based companies. The worst performers on the NASDAQ 100, Netflix, Booking Holding, Match Group, Align Tech, 
and ASML. The broad-based sell-off driven largely by what we warned you about last week, which of course is the huge options expiration and new positioning by hedge funds. They're worried about what is happening in Europe. They're worried about the Federal Reserve and all those options, about $2 trillion in notional value. They flipped last week. We talked about it on Thursday, that the volatility, particularly on the sell side, could increase, not tooting our own horn, but you got to watch this concept of market structure. All right, as stocks sold, bonds got bought and yields rose. Ten-year yield back above 3%. That should have mortgage rates ticking just a little bit back higher. In the oil market, crude oil is also on the rise. So too is natural gas. Crude oil right now, it is up a buck 45 to 91.80, but natural gas, that is incredibly inflationary. Natural gas, a key input in so much of what we all buy, as well as electricity production, and natural gas at $9.89, the highest in 15 years. But what about Europe, where energy and power costs? They have gone parabolic lately. Spot natural gas in Europe is trading in their market at $275 per megawatt hour. That is the equivalent of 80 U.S. dollars. And we want to put Monday's move, huge moves yesterday, into perspective. In just the last two sessions, spot natural gas has risen by more than the entire contract cost just over a year ago. That contract has risen by more than 40 euros per contract. Just 10 months ago, the entire contract cost only 39 euros. So it's jumped by more than it totally cost last year. I guess a rough equivalent would be if the price of gasoline went from $5 a gallon to $10 a gallon in two days. Only it's actually much worse there. All right, we'll get more with Kyle Bass on that in a moment. Right now, let's get some more of this top corporate stories, including Elon Musk launching the latest strike in his legal fight to try to bail out of his takeover of Twitter. Frank Holland is back with that and more. Frank. Hey, good morning again, Brian. Yeah, the saga continues. Elon Musk bringing Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey into the legal wrangling over this deal. Lawyers for Musk sending Dorsey a subpoena seeking documents related to fake accounts on the platform. Details on those spam accounts have been at the center of Musk's efforts to abandon his $44 billion takeover of Twitter. Musk is also seeking details about Twitter's use of monetizable daily active users and any other metrics Twitter might use to describe user or advertiser engagement. A former Apple engineer is accused of stealing files with secret details about the tech giant's long-rumored car division He's now pleading guilty. The plea agreement with the U.S. government is under seal, according to court documents. But the former engineer faced up to 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Sentencing is scheduled for November. And the premiere of HBO's new Game of Thrones spinoff series, House of the Dragon, pulling in nearly 10 million viewers for what the channel says is its biggest debut in history. That figure combining both cable and HBO Max platform users, the House of the Dragon debut outperformed the original Game of Thrones series premiere, which brought in just over 4 million viewers back in 2011. But the premiere of that show's eighth and final season pulled in a record-breaking 17.9 million people. Brian, I watched it yet last night myself. I was pretty impressed. Um, Definitely great graphics and everything else. The plot was really good. Really liked the acting. Hard to compare it to the original because the casting was amazing, but still very good. That's what I'm worried about, Frank. The, the original was so amazing. Yeah. I, I'm worried about getting sucked into this because, like, could it ever match up 
You know what I mean? No, I mean, it's hard. It's really hard because the casting for the first one was just outstanding. I mean, uh, I think Sean Bean as Ned Stark. I mean, just some of that casting irre- is irreplaceable because you have these characters in your mind. But I really was impressed by the plot and the acting. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'll check it out. We'll see. I mean, the original, the mountain, the dog. Yeah. Right. I mean, some of these fights just absolutely stunning. Yeah, Frank Colin, some- thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, it's all. I'll check it out on Frank's recommendation. All right, from that to more on Europe and how their energy crisis could impact global markets. Heyman Capital's Kyle Bass is best known for his big short on housing, of course, during the subprime crisis. But he was also one of the leading voices on the Greek debt crisis, which hit Europe about a year later. We sat down with Kyle for a wide-ranging interview about Europe and the world. And I began by asking him how he sees this story playing out and whether a major financial downturn is inevitable at this point. When you look at Europe today and you look at the poor planning and and look, whether it's Europe or the U.S. or the West in general, um, we've all been moving towards uh, a much greener future uh, from the energy side. The problem is, uh, is it seems like uh, the powers that be have been taking policy advice from small NGOs and teenagers talking about uh, the need to reduce carbon emissions in the world and not putting together a comprehensive uh, science-based, math-based approach to energy transition. And, and I think the question you set me up for is, is, is there a problem on the horizon in, in Europe? And, you know, I, I just spoke with uh, uh, a, a good friend who, who is in Germany, uh, who uh, is in the U.S. Armed Forces, who told me that uh, their average monthly power bill uh, has gone from 150 euros a month to 800 euros a month as of yeah. the last bill. Uh, and as you know, those people don't make uh, that much money. And so when you have a, uh, a power bill moving almost 600% within a year, uh, and power's basically, power bills have basically doubled uh, in the last three months, but they're up, you know, uh, price per megawatt hour in Europe in the last two years is up more than 14 times. Uh, so I think they've got a problem where imagine whatever your monthly bill is for electricity or power, imagine multiplying it by somewhere between six and 10 uh, and and understanding what kind of financial impact that would have for your household and your household consumption. I think right around the corner, uh, places like Germany, Italy and the rest of France and Europe are in real trouble. And the politicians are going to blame Putin. And and there certainly is a lot of blame that will go on Vladimir Putin and his insane war. But these problems started long before that. We were in the UK in November, obviously before the invasion, talking about the setup, some of the bad policy makes. Is it is it fair to say, Kyle, that yes, what's happening with the war and the pipeline games that Putin is playing is now creating a lot of chaos But the reason that Europe got into this position was years or even more than a decade of addiction to cheap Russian gas, which enabled Putin to actually flex. They may have flipped the rationale, correct? Yeah. I mean, Brian, you're you're hitting the nail square on the head. It actually goes back. If you really look at what happened, you you had Gerhard Schroeder, who kind of ruled Germany as chancellor for for basically two two sessions, right? Uh, and, and basically from 98 to 2005, uh, he was chancellor of Germany. He started decommissioning uh, uh, the nuclear power in Germany 
uh, back then, saying that there was a, a much larger supply uh, of cheap gas in Russia. And, and literally, when you look back to the timeline, it's frightening what you see Putin doing uh, with, with Schroeder. Uh, Schroeder was, uh, uh, right before he was voted out in 2005 as chancellor, a few weeks beforehand, he agreed to get the German government to guarantee a billion euros of the cost of the Nord Stream pipeline. Then within days of his departure in 2005, Brian, he became CEO of the Nord yep. Stream 1. And then Russia in 20, somewhere around 2016, they added him to be chairman of the board of Rosneft, Russia's largest oil producer. And 20 days before Putin's invasion of Ukraine this year in 2022, on February 4th, he, he agreed to join the board of Gazprom. Uh, when you look back at what happened, uh, Gerhard Schroeder sold Germany and really Europe out to yep. Russia into a plan that Putin has had for, for decades. And he made them incredibly dependent upon Russian gas. And, you know, um, President Bush, 43, uh, had conversations with Schroeder back in his in his second term uh, and said, you know, he said, Gerhard, don't you think that relying on Russian gas puts you in a in a really bad national security uh, a problem. And Schroeder said, no, you know, uh, Russia is is globalizing. Globalization is the, is the wave of the future. And we have a great relationship with Russia and there's endless supply of cheap gas. So, you know, it, it seems to me well, now like Russia bought Schroeder. All right. Well, certainly there's a lot more to our interview with Kyle Bass. When about 15 minutes, you can watch the entire thing, including his comments about how Europe's problems may impact U.S. stock markets and our economy. It's on CNBC.com. Please check it out. A wide ranging conversation with Kyle on that. I can assure you, having recently been in Germany, there is no love lost for Mr. Gerhard Schroeder. All right. Coming up. Your morning RBI and some rare good news about the weather. All we hear is bad news. Got a little good news for you. And as we had to break, some key headlines that are also happening now and some not so good news for China's ongoing heat wave. Officials there expending power curbs in addition to shuttering some manufacturing. Shopping malls are now being told they can only open before 9 p.m. due to power rationing. That's what happens when countries do not plan for sufficient energy supplies, no matter what happens with the weather. Meantime, Pinduoduo reportedly planning to launch an internal e-commerce platform next month. According to Reuters, the Chinese company will target the U.S. as its first market and will mark the biggest push abroad for Pinduoduo. And this year proving to be a bit of a bust for the IPO market. New data from Dealogic showing traditional IPOs have raised only $5.1 billion this year. Usually they've raised about $33 billion at this point. Last year... They raised about $100 billion, so running a 5% run rate of last year. Ouch. Stock futures are higher a bit. We're glad you're with us. We're back right after this. All right, it is that time of the morning to get random but interesting. And on this fine Tuesday, let's talk about the weather. Because there has been something happening that is not getting a lot of attention. And it's not getting much attention because nothing has been happening. And by nothing, we mean any big storms so far this hurricane season. There have not been any. And if you think that's unusual, you would be correct. In fact, according to AccuWeather, 
we are kind of near the history books because this is only the third time in 60 years that we have not had a named storm so far this far into August. The other two times, 1961 and 1997. Now there's 2022, so a few decades between each occurrence. But this is the kind of unusual occurrence that we want, right? No storms. In other words, some rare good weather-related news. But can this last? AccuWeather says probably not. In fact, there's some rain activity near southern Mexico that could get stronger, could move north, maybe a little activity off the African coast, which could ultimately turn into a tropical storm. But let us hope against that. Because AccuWeather says if we can get through the entire month of August with zero named storms, it would be, in their words, and I emailed with them, quote, an impressive feat. So just a couple of days to go in the month, including today, keep an eye on the weather. We know that if Mother Nature stays cool, calm, and collected, we may just have an August for the weather history books. Now, please, fingers crossed that we did not jinx it by saying this. No broadcaster's curse. Been a lot of rain in Texas and in the South, but no name storms. We like it that way, especially, by the way, with the SPR oil reserve very low. That is random, but interesting. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, stocks looking to mount a Tuesday turnaround and not really following Monday's broad-based sell-off. Diamond Hills, Heather Brilliant will lay out the stocks. She and her team are finding opportunity in. Stick around. And if you have not already, be sure to follow our podcast. Believe it or not, it's called Worldwide Exchange. I hear it's pretty good. Check it out for yourself. We'll be right back. All right, let's get a look ahead at the day for all you investors out there. you got plenty of economic data you can chew on. At 9.45 a.m. Eastern, we get a flash reading on manufacturing and services, the PMIs for August. You get 10 a.m., the new home sales numbers for July. That could be a market mover. Housing's been in the forefront. And the earnings front results out of Macy's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Nordstrom, and Toll Brothers. So a lot of retail and, uh, obviously, consumer spending numbers there. And if it's a day that ends in Y... You've got somebody from the Fed speaking, of course, every day, right? Neil Cash Carey speaking in Minneapolis this evening, the Central Bank's Jackson Hole Summit later on in the week. Remember the days, like not that long ago, when the Fed spoke like twice a year? Now it's twice a day. Meantime, the Fed and Europe's growing energy crisis and subsequent economic impact continue to serve as key drivers for these markets. Couple that with the huge options expiration that we talked about that happened at last week. And you got some new hurdles for the markets and your money. Of course, they retreated further from their all-time high on Friday and yesterday. But your next guest says for long-term investors, there is always opportunity to be found. And we love that. Heather Brilliant is the president and CEO of Diamond Hill and joins us now. Heather, it's good to have it on. We got to remember, I know we talk about markets every day, but you want to invest for the long term, do you not? And that is why you think a company, because we like our adult beverages, a company like a Diageo could benefit long term. That's right, Brian. Thanks for having me back. And Diageo is a great example of where we really like to look beyond whatever the economic climate is of the moment to figure out what the long term earnings power of a business is. And so that's really how we think about investing at Diamond Hill. And Diageo has great brands and they've been investing really heavily over this period of, of tumult. And I think that gives them an opportunity to really come out on the other side even stronger. You know, if we do go into some kind of downturn, of course, people do trade down during those types of environments. 
But we don't really think that'll have a big impact on Diageo's long-term prospects. As they make more and more investments, when we go through this period, they actually uh, increase their ability to come out the other side stronger. Yeah, certainly uh, been an uptake in the consumption of said beverages over the last couple of years. What about a checkpoint software, cybersecurity type-ish company? What do you like about them, Heather? Yeah, Checkpoint's a really interesting business for a couple of reasons. First, their products are really sticky. Once you put a, a firewall in place or something like that, there's a, a lot of switching costs that go into you know, making a different decision, and there's not a lot of upside to making a switch. There's really um, four companies that dominate 60% of the market, and Checkpoint is one of those, and I think they've really benefited from you know, having such a strong position of trust in the market. But more importantly, you know, at Diamond Hill, we're always very focused on valuation, and Checkpoint is trading at about a 20% discount to what we think it's worth, and they're great capital allocators. They're constantly reinvesting in their business by buying back their shares. The, the business generates a huge amount of cash, around a billion dollars a year. So when you take that into consideration, if you look five years out and think about what the valuation is going to look like, it's a no-brainer to um, consider Checkpoint as a a very undervalued business today. Now, your next pick is really, first off, it's a fascinating company, but it's also an interesting one given that we've been talking so much for about, I don't know, nine months about Europe's coming woes. And this is Exor. Now, Exor is not a household name because they don't really make anything. This is the family that has become billionaires due to Fiat Chrysler, the very fashionable Elkan family They invest in CNH, the farm company. They, of course, invest in Fiat, Partner Re, a reinsurance company. But Heather, with everything going on in Europe, do we want to buy a conglomerate made by, you know, very fashionable Italian billionaires? Well, actually, Brian, that's exactly why we think it looks interesting. The market is really worried about its exposure to to, um, industrials, that it is essentially an industrial conglomerate. They own a ton of different auto brands. And as you mentioned, CNH is another one that's in their portfolio. But ultimately, they're in the process of selling a huge stake in um, one of their reinsurance businesses. So they're about to get a good influx of cash. And I think this is another example where because the family has proven to be such great allocators of capital coming into a big amount of cash in a period like this, where we have a ton of volatility, it's great to think about the opportunities that they'll have to put that to work. And again, you know, being exposed to industrials doesn't worry us when you're looking at situations where there isn't too much leverage because we're really looking for companies that can weather the storm of whatever economic tumult we're going through and come out the other side a lot stronger. And I think if you if you look to the cash flows a business can generate in a normalized environment, you know, we look at a a business like Exor and think there's a a lot of opportunity there. Heather Brilliant of Diamond Hill. We love it. We got Diageo Checkpoint and Exor. Excellent. As always, Heather, thank you. Have a wonderful day. Appreciate that. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm off for the next couple of days, but I'll be back on Friday with your insider buying segment. By the way, natural gas hitting 10 bucks right now. Talk about that and the markets more. Squawk and the gang picking up all your coverage. That is next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.